0: This is Africa Digest.
1: Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we're available online on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi in studio with me driving the show with Onelensinse, Tracy Boomgaard and Neto Chimani. Some top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Egypt's ex-president Mohamed Morsi buried in Cairo. Nigerian, presid- Nigerian police arrest international arms smuggling syndicate. South Africa's transport minister visits Limpopo over spike in fatal road crashes in economic news zimbabwe nurses threaten to report for duty only twice a week if their grievances are not met and in sport michelle platini arrested over awarding of the 2022 world cup to qatar hello and how are you
2: good afternoon sir i'm good how are you
1: i am all right i think i'm starting to get sick though the 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 change in season i think we
2: we all try to escape flu but at some point Within the season, it's gonna catch up. With you.
1: What are your feelings on vaccinations?
2: I, 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 do take my kids.
1: You don't vaccinate, but you take your kids.
2: Well, I had for <laughs> reasons of travel, and okay. so I had yeah, I had to add those as well. But um, it's not it's not a must do.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm not for or against. To be honest with you, I'm just lazy. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> if I'm, you... just, I'm just extremely lazy. However, when I start to feel something creep up, I'm like, I should have gone and gotten vaccinated. Yeah, there
2: are people who make that a must-do yearly. Mm-hmm. The rest of us, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, oh well.
1: Well, I think Mm -hmm. that we should definitely look into making it part of our thing here at uh, Africa Digest. Maybe we should do a segment on vaccinating every single year and um, bring in some nurses to vaccinate us just before the season starts. That way we don't need to go anywhere and we don't need to pay for anything. (laughs) (laughs) To make your life easier. Exactly. (laughs) All right. It's time for us to cross on over to the news desk. Here is on LNCNC with your latest news bulletin.
2: Thank you, Samora. The protest leaders in Sudan have begun a revolutionary escalation to pressure the Transitional Military Council to hand over power to civilians and condemn the crackdown in a sit-in camp earlier this month. Sudan's protest leaders have called for nighttime demonstrations and marches in the capital Khartoum and elsewhere in the country. This is amid a tense standoff with the ruling military council over who should lead the transition after the removal of autocrat Omar al-Bashir. Protesters blame the Rapid Support Forces paramilitary group for the crackdown and the TMC says it has launched an investigation. United Nations Human Rights Office has called for an independent inquiry into former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi's death while in state custody. Morsi's Egypt's first democratically elected president in 2012 died on Monday after collapsing during a trial hearing in a Cairo court. Concerns have been raised regarding the condition of Mr. Morsi's detention including access to adequate medical care as well as sufficient access to his lawyers and family during his nearly six years in custody the chairperson of Om in a society against crime judah is calling on the residents to come down and allow the team of investigators sent by the National Defense Force to the Mozambican border to investigate what led to a shooting incident is at the far north of the KwaZulu-Natal province in South Africa Two members of Mozambican border police were allegedly shot and killed in an incident involving South African soldiers. The border area is a known smuggling route. Mtetua elaborates.
3: Uh, on the side of the South African soldiers, I can say that uh, there was no injuries. But uh, for Mozambican border police, uh, it's difficult for me to confirm for them because uh, I can't confirm. But on our side, no one was injured. Incident which occurred between South African soldiers and the Mozambique border police. At the present moment, we don't have uh, much information which we can give and the reason we should think. We have sent some team there to go and investigate so that we can be able uh, to see concrete what really happened.
2: South Africa's Department of Home Affairs will soon introduce a biometric system in all ports of entry, addressing a conference called ID for Africa currently underway. International Relations Minister Naledi Pandor said Home Affairs was working on a system that would migrate more services online. She also said the new system would be able to track undocumented persons. Pandor says the system is part of a modernization of Home Affairs.
4: This modernization of South Africa's Department of Home Affairs,
1: once fully and successfully implemented, will re-engineer and automate most of the key processes of this department and yield a significantly enhanced identification system and service and a credible national population
5: register.
2: Lastly, the death toll from an Indonesian ferry sinking has risen to 18. The overloaded passenger boat was carrying more than 60 people when it overturned on Monday in rough seas near Madura Island of Java North Coast. Indonesia's Search and Rescue Agency says 18 people have died, including several children with 39 survivors. A fleet of rescue vessels are playing and Local Fishing Boats are searching the waters for at least four others um, that are still missing. Local reports have suggested that there could be more victims who were not listed on the official manifest. Channel African News. I am Onelin Zinzi.
1: Former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi, who died on Monday after collapsing in court, was buried in the capital Cairo earlier today alongside other senior figures of the Muslim Brotherhood Organization. Morsi had been Egypt's elected president following the death of Hosni Mubarak in 2012, but was deposed after a military coup in 2013 that installed General Abdel Fattah el-Sisi into power. After the 2013 coup, Morsi was arrested and has faced trial on three separate counts of leaking state secrets to Qatar, killing protesters during a sit-in outside the presidential palace and spying for Hamas. He was attending a court session in his trial on espionage charges when he blacked out and died. Earlier, Channel Africa's Kumbelo Munzelele spoke to Timothy Kaldas of the Washington-based uh, Tahrir Institute for Middle East Policy about Morsi's death and what it means for
6: Egyptian politics. Well, I think that I think that if you set the rhetoric aside, that it's unlikely you'll see much action uh, from any party uh, in response to this death. It certainly highlights uh, his mistreatment in prison, his lack of access to medical treatment, um, and the fact that he was placed in solitary confinement for six years, which is tantamount to torture under international law. And it's tragic that uh, anyone would be treated that way. Uh, but I think that the unfortunate reality is that President Sisi has consolidated his power pretty effectively, and while Erdogan might have the desire to express his uh, criticisms of cc at this time i don't see this actually materializing into anything that that actually involves action on anybody's
7: part now, he was quite a senior top figure of the Muslim Brotherhood, the group that was branded a terrorist organization. But in some quarters, he was considered a true hero. Uh, do you think he was somehow misunderstood? Uh, because internationally, he may have received some support, but in his homeland, he has uh, quite a, a checkered legacy, isn't it?
6: Yeah, I mean, I think that the reality is that he look he, he was a leader in the, in the leader. Leadership of the Brotherhood, but he wasn't really a leader in the sense that he wasn't a decision maker. He wasn't uh, one of the leading thinkers. He was an enforcer for the for the group, and he wasn't even meant to be their candidate. He was a stand-in because the uh, the individual they wanted to run was disqualified over a previous conviction. It's kind of by accident that he fell into this position. Uh, I think that the reality is that. Well, he wasn't prepared for the office that he took on, and he engaged in a number of missteps that undermined the confidence of revolutionary Egyptians, such as his constitutional declaration in November of 2012, which he then rescinded less than two weeks later uh, in response to enormous opposition. I think what's important, however, is that when he was president of Egypt, there was the beginnings of a process of establishing democratic practice in the country. So whatever his intentions, whatever his values, the fact that he did not have the capacity to repress opposition in the way that his predecessors had resulted in a dynamic in which the public could actually challenge presidential decisions and get them reversed on a number of occasions. And that is, for me, one of the most invaluable things that Egypt actually got to witness, which is Egyptians getting to practice politics, getting to practice organizing in a fair free space. I mean, if you look at the press under Morsi, there was much more criticism of the presidency, much more criticism of the political direction of the country than we've seen since or or, uh, or previously.
7: Now, what is the mood like in Cairo? Because earlier there were reports that the government has deployed security forces on the ground in anticipation of what may happen following Morsi's death. How can you describe the mood at the moment?
6: I think that there's a lot of shock. Um, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about Morsi on a regular basis, but this kind of reminded them of what had transpired. And of course, people's standard of living has declined substantially in the last several years. So I think people are also reflecting on whether or not uh, they judged him fairly six years ago. Uh, at the same time, there's a lot of there's a lot of disagreement. I mean, people who are against the Brotherhood, people who uh, distrust them. Uh, some of them are, are celebrating and even making jokes about his death, while others are uh, appalled by uh, by some crude uh, statements and so there's i mean there's a lot of disagreement among egyptians over his legacy and what he represents
7: some observers say his death is likely to pile international pressure on the egyptian government under president el sisi over its human rights record especially conditions in prisons where thousands of islamists and secular activists are held do you agree with this statement and what can african leaders do uh, to make sure that human rights are indeed uh, protected
6: in Egypt. Well, I think the unfortunate reality is that there's probably not much that's going to get done. I mean, the fact of the matter is that torture and uh, and poor prison conditions have been a feature of CC's rule for the last six years. We've had countless reports of it. And CC even got away with killing 800 protesters in broad daylight in August of 2013. And he was invited to the Elysee Palace and the White House. So the unfortunate reality is that there there's no shortage of examples of, of human rights violations from this government. And yet people continue to deal with them. CC despite conducting a coup d'etat and really obviating any form of democracy in the country, was still Egypt uh, was still invited back into the African Union um, after its brief suspension. And now that the presidency of, has the presidency of the African Union, and uh, by many accounts has been also uh, trying to undermine some of the, the, the entire union's commitments to human rights. So that's a really troubling trend. But I don't think, realistically, that much action will be taken on the rights violations that occur here. I do hope that this brings more attention to the unfortunate circumstances that most prisoners in Egypt face, and uh, something can be done to improve
1: That that was Timothy Kaldas, political analyst and non-resident fellow at the Tahrir Institute for Middle East Policy, on the line from the Egyptian capital Cairo, talking to Kumbero Munzelele. The security situation in Nigeria has experienced serious breaches with the constant infiltrating uh, actions by insurgents and terror groups, leaving a wide guess as to whether the government is giving the well-being of its citizens the serious attention it deserves. As doubts continue in the minds of many, the security agencies pulled up their sleeves and have recorded some level of successes in tracking and arresting armed smugglers who have been helping terror groups to keep up their chain of arms supply. Channel Africa's correspondent in Lagos, Collins Nosa Atohengbe, reports that the smugglers were arrested at different parts of the country.
8: While being sworn in for the commencement of his second term in office, President Muhammadu Buhari reiterated his commitment to securing Nigeria and its citizens while intensifying the war against insurgents and terror groups. The incidents of the past few days have shown that Nigeria is still very much vulnerable to attacks from terror groups, with the latest being the case of an attack at Mandarari in Borno State, where about 30 people were reportedly killed on Monday by a suicide bomber and the killing of 12 people in Zamfara states, which is another hotbed of violence in northwest of Nigeria. The incidents were made possible with the existence of arms supplies smuggled into the country through the land and sea borders, parading some 38 arrested smugglers and a cache of 6,000 small arms, including the well-known AK-47 rifles with countless ammunition. The Nigerian police spokesman, Frank Mba, says there's a gang of people with bent minds who deal in illegal arms into Nigeria.
9: We have a gang of criminals who, who specializes in bringing into this country prohibited weapons. Our determination to curb the proliferation of light arms and to snuff energy out of the criminals knowing fully well that without weapons. Most of the crimes that are taking place in Nigeria will not take place. The Nigerian police have to review its operational strategy to target the illicit proliferation of arms and go after recognized persons who are actually illegally bringing these weapons into the country.
8: The revealed sources of those involved will keep one wondering if Africans are no longer interested in maintaining relations that does not endanger the well-being of their fellows. benga a Nigerian and one of the smugglers who was arrested while bringing arms and ammunition into the country, named two of his sources.
10: I have contacts in uh, Burkina Faso and Ghana. And the conceal it uh, in a vehicle under the floor of a vehicle, perfectly concealed. Um, sometimes with the uh, they use eyes and skins which are so sufficient to more, they have it more in the Burkina area, the Burkina Faso area. And uh, those that are concealed with eyes and skin, when they get to the border or to the neighboring town, they can change it into uh, this young flower of the thing and it.
8: Coming down to the southern part of the country, members of the Nigerian Navy accosted two vessels in the Nigerian waters, found arms in them, and arrested nine persons. Among them were five Nigerians. Commodore Dixin Semenago of the Tactical Defense Unit of Nigerian Navy says curiosity took them up the vessels.
4: Yes, the first vessel we arrested we had nine of them. That vessel, you know, was looking like a naval boat and the initial uh, when we made the initial contact the captain made us believe that uh, it was in our waters for normal routine patrol waiting for a merchant uh, vessel and uh, he was asked if he was carrying any weapon or that other uh, items on board and uh, he denied until we decided to go to actually confirm because sometimes you know you don't just believe what people tell you seeing is believing so we had to lower our boat and uh, we boarded the ship and we discovered that uh, there were five Nigerians, three Greeks and one American. And all these people have questionable passport and uh, origin.
8: At yet a separate incident, the Nigerian police spokesman Frank Mba could not hide his contentment over the police success while calling for vigilance. He took time to explain one of the methods which the smugglers use.
9: This is a recovery made by the Special Tactical Squad. And you can see how this weapon was carefully concealed in what ordinarily should be a toy. And so they dropped this off on the seat of their car. Indeed, from my experience, we've discovered that this is one of the consumer strategy used by men of the underworld.
8: Whilst the quest continues on how to deal with the issues of arms smuggling, a retired Army General, Cecile esekha says the culprits are from the group of the unemployed youths milling about in Nigerian cities, especially in the north, and he tasks state governments to tackle the issue of unemployment.
4: You see, we must learn how to look at the root causes of this problem rather than treating this system. The political elites have used these uh, youths who are not employed for their own personal purposes. So they are the agents of this destabilization. They are the agents of this banditry. And the best thing to do this is to look at and address the mass unemployment and disconnect them from this madness of political elites using them for all those kind of political crimes.
8: Though these successes are laudable, The incidence of regular deaths at the hands of terror gangs who rob, kidnap, kill and sack outright whole communities for no just cause is keeping the security system in Nigeria on the edge. And the fact that non-Nigerians are also getting involved in the violation of Nigeria's internal security system has without doubt taken restful slip off the charts of Abuja. Will the pledge by the security chief sufficiently meet the bill for general peace across Nigeria? Your guess is as good as mine. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosato, for Channel Africa News.
0: South African President Cyril Ramaphosa will deliver his first State of the Nation Address Sona, of the 6th Parliament on Thursday, the 20th of June. The address will, however, be the President's third since assuming office in February 2018. His previous sonas were on the 16th of February 2018 and 7th of February 2019. Join Channel Africa throughout the day and listen live to the national address at 1900 Central African time. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective.
1: South Africa's Transport Minister, Fikile Mbalula, says more work needs to be done to enforce law on our roads. He was speaking in Polokwane in Limpopo after at least 45 people were killed in road crashes over the long weekend. Minister Mbalula has also cautioned the youth to abide by the rules of the road and refrain from drunken driving. The most fatalities were recorded on the R81 in Mapale, uh, Mapale which claimed 24 lives Mbalula says there must be consequences for those who don't abide by the law
5: and we have had more than 44 fatalities in this province of Limpopo and as well elsewhere in in the country but why Limpopo is because on the scene more than 24 young people died on the spot of the accident so we are here like it has been said to pass our condolences but at the same time to ensure that we intensify our work to make our roads safe and ensure that we entrench (coughs) law enforcement in our roads we know that uh, that work law enforcement officers yourselves you cannot do it on your own often when there is an accident or people have died the first call and blame is to the traffic officers to say when people died but we as society we don't take responsibility for but we don't take responsibility for our reckless driving. We don't take responsibility to ensure that we respect the law and to understand the law and internalize it. Nobody takes responsibility. But when everything else is said and done, people have passed on, we blame it on the officers. We don't take responsibility for our unroadworthiness of our cars. Some of the cars people drive in the roads are moving coffins. They are moving coffins, you get into a taxi, you get into a minibus, you get into your bus. All what you are getting to is to going straight to the graveside. Society does not take responsibility to say that what am I getting myself into? For us to win the war against road fatalities and the carnage in our road, it starts first with us to take responsibility, to ensure that the cars that we drive are roadworthy, And that those who drive us are are abiding with the laws of the country. We cannot go on with lawlessness, undermining the law and putting the lives of our people at risk. As we speak, 24 and more people died on the road. And even more elsewhere in the country, on the sport. And majority of them are young people.
1: And that is South Africa's transport minister, Mr. Fikile Mbalula. As former President Thabo Mbeki celebrates his 77th birthday, his wish is to see South Africa address the challenges facing the country. As part of celebrating his birthday, the Thabo Mbeki Foundation will host a fundraising dinner where the proceeds will go towards the building of the Thabo Mbeki African Presidential Library. SABC uh, reporter Nomsa Bulani spoke exclusively to the former president on his thoughts and wishes for the country.
11: Adding another year, but continuing with the work. Former President Thabo Mbeki shared his thoughts about the problems and challenges facing South Africa. ESCOM and SARS on his mind.
10: What was happening at SARS was a deliberate attempt to destroy the institution. Now this is 95-98% of state revenues. You destroy SARS, you destroy the democratic state. And you look at the way ESCOM handled the Midupi and Kusile power stations. It's, an, it's a frightening story. It, to me, it's, this, it was not an accident. The huge debt that is accumulated at ESCOM is because of those two power stations.
11: The other thorny issue are the challenges within state security. Mbegi says the recent revelation by former intelligence director general Arthur Fraser that there were agents planted to disrupt the work of government shouldn't be taken lightly.
10: Among others, things, says part of the problem we have is that uh, the ANC and others of structures like this and then the government structures after '94 were infiltrated by agents of the apartheid regime who remain, he says, in senior positions to this day. And then you have people who came from the intelligence services of the apartheid system who never changed their minds about the sustenance of apartheid, who are active to this day. So Arthur Fraser is making the statement that one of the major challenges the country faces is to deal with this problem which we inherited from the past. We thought it was gone, but it says it's not gone.
11: The former president hopes to open up his African presidential library soon. His foundation will host on Tuesday night a fundraising dinner towards that goal. The building of the library is expected to start in December. I'm Norma Bolani in Johannesburg.
1: South Africa and Mozambique have launched investigations following a fatal shootout between local soldiers with Mozambican border police on the border between the two countries in the northern KwaZulu-Natal province. The incident has reportedly left two members of Mozambique's border police dead, resulting in the two countries launching a joint investigation into what happened. South Africa's Department of Defense deployed additional troops to the region last year in order to combat cross-border crime, which has a significant impact on the economy and the province. More from SANDF spokesperson Mafi
7: Mukopozi.
3: I can say that it is true that it's one of those unfortunate incidents which uh, no one ever uh, Expected that it might happen. The incident, as we said, that it happened on Sunday uh, between the border of Mozambique and South Africa uh, in the kzn inside. Uh, as you know, that our troops are being deployed in that area of and uh, the, the more area where we are doing their uh, patrol when that incident happened. Uh, from yesterday, uh, we have sent the team, the the team which is going, to, which were going to uh, uh, investigate what led to the to the incident. Uh, at the present moment, the team come back and the team have reported now. Uh, the team have reported uh, they are uh, short finding. But at the present moment, what is going to, to happen is that uh, the Chief S N B F now uh, is uh, looking at the report of the of the team which was sent there, and then after that we will see what can we issue for the media.
7: When is uh, this report going to be made public, Brigadier General? Uh, I can say that the uh,
3: report, as we know, that uh, this is a thing which involves two countries. It's not a thing that we, as a South African, we can just say something while our Mozambican counterparts don't know what we are saying. That is why I'm saying that uh, they have reported to the, the, our team today chief of the southern functional defense force but at the present uh, the chief assistant defense is looking at that report and then once uh the CSNDF look at their report. Maybe it will have had to contact his
7: counterpart on this The Department of uh, Defense deployed additional troops uh, to the region last year in order to combat cross-border crime, which has a significant impact on uh, the economy in northern KwaZulu-Natal. How has uh, that operation been so far?
3: I can say that the operation there at the, the northern Natal area with the border is going. Very well, because our troops they, they are doing a standing job. We have even able to capture some of the car between the criminals they are trying to take it to Mozambique. In the past uh, month, I can say that our people, they are very active in that border. And even the counter that are coming from Mozambique to our country, uh, our people have been uh, able to to stop those things. But they are working hand-in-hand with the Mozambican uh, border police on those issues.
1: And that was Brig- uh, Brigadier General Mafim Gobozi, spokesperson of the South African National Defence Force, talking to Kumbelo Munzelele. The time is now 1730 Central African Time. Let's cross on over to Onelensinse for your latest news headlines.
2: The protest leaders in Sudan have begun a revolutionary escalation to pressure the Transitional Military Council to hand over power to civilians. The United Nations Human Rights Office calls for an independent inquiry into former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi's death and South Africa's Department of Home Affairs to introduce a biometric system in all ports of entry. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelene Zinzi.
0: South African President Cyril Ramaphosa will deliver his first State of the Nation address, SONA, of the sixth Parliament on Thursday, the 20th of June. The address will, however, be the president's third since assuming office in February 2018. His previous SONAs were on the 16th of February 2018 and 7th of February 2019. Join Channel Africa throughout the day and listen live to the national address at 1900 Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
1: The Witts Law Clinic in South Africa, which represents indigent members of the public, has experienced an increase in the number of victims whose lives have been wrecked by fraudulent marriages. The victims, who have been married to strangers without their knowledge, tell stories of violation, despair and anger at the destruction of their lives, which is heightened by the state's lack of response to their plight. The WITS Law Clinic, which has handled numerous cases of this nature, particularly in the early 2000s, is in the process of uh, instituting legal proceedings against the Department of Home Affairs and calls upon victims to come forward in preparation for the class action lawsuit. For more on this, here is Professor Philippa Kruger from the Family, Gender and Child Unit at the Law Clinic.
12: Well, we had initially six cases that we were dealing with and we were getting no joy from the Department of Home Affairs. These are cases where women find their records at the Department of Home Affairs reflect their status as married, whereas they have never entered into a marriage ceremony. We knew that the problem was probably systemic, so we were contemplating a class action, but we have been dealing with the individual cases to date. The story, however, broke at the beginning of last week, and one of the six cases has been resolved through the intervention of the Minister of Home Affairs and the senior, senior executives at Home Affairs, and they have undertaken to look at our other cases. And in the meantime, we have sent... An invitation out countrywide to people who find themselves with this problem, and the queries have been pouring in to my email. So we have now substantially more than the six cases which we will be investigating and taking up with the department.
13: I am glad you do mention that there has been a wide response. I wanted to ask just how rife do you think this problem is in the country, fraudulent marriages?
12: Well, I think it is quite rife. The minister quoted figures of over 2,000 such cases per annum which they investigate and two-thirds of those appear To be the clients, the women find themselves as victims of fake entries of fraudulent marriages. And a third of those, approximately, are women who have knowingly entered into marriages, which are referred to as marriages of convenience, with foreigners in order to secure their resident status and obviously for some kind of reward. So I'm having queries from all over the country. And I think it's the tip of the iceberg. I do think there are many, many more people who don't even know that they are recorded as married at the department.
13: Prof, now the women who knowingly enter into a marriage um, for the purpose of granting a foreigner citizenship, do you have them coming forward now seeking help and are they also going to get assistance?
12: Well, a few of them have come forward and we have many of those queries at the, the law clinic itself. And we haven't been assisting them in the past because these are people who have colluded with foreigners to defeat the laws of the country. And because they have to go through a proper divorce action and it would cost the law clinic money to take on and conclude such a case because one would have to advertise in the newspaper, for example. But it's not to say that I have no sympathy for these women because I think they are vulnerable, they are impoverished, very often uneducated and they are preyed upon and promised great reward by foreign men and in nine cases out of ten the reward never materializes. So that may be something else that we will take up in due course but at the moment we are just dealing with genuine victims of fraudulent entries at the Department of Home Affairs.
13: Now how big is the number of victims that you are now dealing with? You spoke about six initially, one has been resolved and I'm just wondering, what the one that was resolved, was that as a result of media coverage?
12: As a, res- a result of the media coverage, it came to the new minister Motswaledi's attention. He then took a personal interest. He called for these matters. They found that this client had been a victim and the matter had been unresolved for 15 years at his department. And he therefore attended personally at my office and apologized to the victim who has now since received her her smart card. And of course, her child has been without a birth certificate and he is going to receive his birth certificate this week. You said how many other cases? Yes. I haven't counted, but there must be at least another 30
13: Now, with the Department of Home Affairs now seemingly showing willingness to do what it's supposed to do, earlier on you mentioned how you have been given a runaround when you were trying to communicate with the departments around the issue. Now they're seeming to show interest. Um, Are you still contemplating the class
12: lawsuit? Well, that is certainly still being contemplated because, of course, whether these matters are resolved out of court or in court. A woman has suffered damages. It, it's being contemplated, but you know we're not rushing off to deal with that at the moment. Our first priority is to rectify the status of, of these women, these individual women, and we'll take it case by case until each one is resolved.
13: Let's reflect on the challenges that they've had to endure these victims throughout the years as a result of being married fraudulently.
12: Yes, certainly. Well, first of all, if we deal with the children, if they've had children with a partner and try to register the birth, the department has insisted that the child be registered in the name of this foreign husband whom the woman has never met. So the child is deeply affected. The child is without a birth certificate. It affects the child's rights to a name and to a nationality, which is one of the fundamental rights under Section 28 of the Constitution. Women cannot then go and marry the partner of their choice because, according to the records, they are already married.
1: That was Professor Philippa Kruger from the Family, Gender and Child Unit at the Vitzlaw Law Clinic, and she was on the line to Jane Rabotata. Three years ago, the southern African kingdom of Lesotho started distributing condoms in all its uh, male and female prisons. The aim was to curb the spread of HIV in correctional facilities. The small country has one of the biggest uh, HIV prevalences uh, rates in the world, with close to a quarter of its 2.3 million people living with HIV. The BBC's Namkabo Werunga reports from the facility where the Condoms for Prisoners program started.
14: At Lesotho's largest male correctional facility in the capital Maseru, prisoners get regular lessons on how to protect themselves from HIV. The facility holds more than 700 inmates and authorities say more than a third of them are living with HIV. One prisoner we spoke to said that many inmates are sexually active and that they have embraced the condom program.
9: I've seen so many people from outside, they came here without HIV and AIDS, and then when they mate with other, the ones who are just having AIDS, they just combine together and then sometimes they find themselves they being in danger with that. Of course I can see so many people are taking condoms.
14: The pilot program began three years ago and has since rolled out in all correctional facilities in Lesotho. While it's illegal to directly hand out condoms to prisoners, condom dispensers are placed strategically inside the prison in places where inmates can easily access them, like outside bathrooms. Female prisoners gather round to sing in Maseru's women's prison. More than half of the 59 inmates are living with HIV. Both male and female condoms are provided here. (laughs) The program also facilitates peer-led sexual health discussion groups which educate inmates on how to practice safe sex. Palessa Modise, not her real name, has been an inmate in this facility for 10 years and is in a long-term relationship with a fellow inmate. They practice monogamy to protect themselves from infection.
13: I have only one partner. I know
14: her HIV status and we are faithful to each other. But not everyone here is faithful. Some try to be faithful, but not all of them.
2: Some have multiple partners.
14: Although a formal evaluation about the success of the condom program has yet to be made, organizers say they have noticed a change in prisoners' attitudes and their willingness to openly discuss their sexual health. Prisoners now seem to attach less stigma towards safe sex practices. Mokele Molesane is Lesotho's Minister of Justice and Correctional Services.
4: We are encouraged because we know now there is a change of attitude and behavior of the inmates. We see condoms vanishing. That says to us they are being used.
14: Lesotho overturns its laws banning homosexuality in 2012, but there is still a lot of public stigma against LGBT communities in the country. Responding to outside criticism, Minister Molesane says that the condom program' primary goal is to ensure prisoners' health and safety.
4: It is not about homosexuality or encouraging inmates to engage in sexual activity. The fact of the matter is there is that sexual activity going on in our facilities. And we have to act by providing the condoms to make sure that we prevent new infections in our institutions.
14: Statistics from UNAIDS show that Africa has the highest number of HIV-AIDS infections and that prisoners are particularly vulnerable. Despite this, many other African countries have been reluctant to enable safe sex practices for prisoners because of laws against homosexuality. But this small, landlocked nation of just 2.3 million inhabitants is making big strides to combat the issue.
1: And that was the BBC's in Namukabo Werungo, reporting from Lesotho.
0: South African President Cyril Ramaphosa will deliver his first State of the Nation address sauna of the 6th Parliament on Thursday, the 20th of June. The address will, however, be the President's third since assuming office in February 2018. His previous sonas were on the 16th of February 2018 and 7th of February 2019. Join Channel Africa throughout the day and listen live to the national address at 1900 Central African time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective
1: 1745 central african time let's cross on over to the money desk here is tracy Boomgaard with your latest economic news
15: Thank you, Samara. Nurses at Zimbabwe state health institutions are threatening to report for duty only twice a week if their grievances are not addressed by the end of June. Nurses say they now can no longer afford the cost of transport and living. Unions in the country say that although their members would like to report to work daily, their salaries have made it impossible to do so. Civil servants, including teachers, have been demanding payment in foreign currency but the government says it cannot afford it. They have threatened to embark on withdrawing their labor from Monday next week. Ethiopia is planning to privatize some of its state-owned entities. This has come with mixed reactions. The country's finance department says it will begin with the telecom, aviation, energy and logistics sectors. While some companies say the decision to open Ethiopia's markets could not come at a better time, not everyone is convinced it's the best path forward. MTN Rwanda started paying interest to its mobile money customers for the first quarter of 2019. The payment is in accordance with the e-money regulations set by the Central Bank of Rwanda. Rwandans have been encouraged to transact using mobile money as a faster and safer way. In this way, reducing the bulkiness of carrying cash, improve overall efficiency in doing business and ultimately save money. A non-governmental organization has called on the Nigerian government to provide tax waivers for startup businesses. This, it says, will ensure the survival of such forms of businesses. Recent st- statistics claim that over 70 million Nigerians are unemployed and underemployed. The UNIC Foundation believes it can assist 4 million businesses a year, and entrepreneurs will benefit greatly. While creating jobs and eradicating poverty, insurer Old Mutual has fired its suspended CEO, Peter Moyo, citing a conflict of interest with an investment firm he founded, NMT Capital. The group is listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, Zimbabwe, Malawi, Namibia, and London stock exchanges. In a statement, the firm says Moyo's actions since his uh, suspension contravened his fiduciary duties to Old Mutual. Both Old Mutual and Moya have shares in NMT capital. In terms of the agreement, Old Mutual was supposed to receive its dividend payments first before other shareholders in the company. Matotsi Rachibelani is a company law attorney.
3: The underlying allegation is basically to say that Mr Moyo's company NMT breached a preference share agreement between itself and Old Mutual. And uh, that breach occurred under the watch of Mr. Moyo in his capacity chairing the shareholders' meeting of NMT. Obviously, you know, the interest that was also at stake, there would have been that of Old Mutual as the preference shareholders. They are saying that he disadvantaged Old Mutual to the benefit of himself as a shareholder of NMT and his core shareholders in NMT.
15: The US dollar is trading at 359.66 Nigerian naira, 10.76 Botswana pula, at 100.69 Kenyan shilling and at 13.09 Zambian kwacha. In BRICS currencies, 1 US dollar will cost you 3.89 Brazilian hail, 64.27 Russian ruble, 69.78 Indian rupee, 6.93 Chinese yuan and at 14.79 South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 79 pence to the British pound and at 89 cents to the Euro. In commodities, gold is trading at $1,341 and platinum at $791 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is sixty dollars ninety three cents a barrel. For Channel African News, I'm Tracy Bumgard.
1: And right now, it's time for us to cross on over to the sports desk. Here is Neto Chimani with your latest sport.
16: Thank you, Samara. A very good afternoon to all sport fans. Starting off with soccer news... The lawyer defending Michel Platini, the former head of European Football Association UEFA, stepped out of a judiciary police station in Nantere, where Platini was being detained for questioning today and declined to make any comments to reporters as he headed to lunch. Platini was being held over the awarding of the 2022 World Cup soccer tournament to Qatar, a judicial source told Reuters. The detention of the former soccer star was first reported by French investigative website media part. France's National Financial Prosecutor's Office, which specializes in investigating economic crimes and corruption, has been leading a probe into the awarding of the 2022 tournament to the Gulf Emirates since 2016. It is looking into possible offenses, including private corruption, conspiracy and influence peddling. On to swimming news. Chad Letlaw says he is doing all he can to change the dynamics of swimming in the country, but wants stronger funding initiatives to ensure the sport gets transformed at a quicker rate. Even though a quarter of a century has elapsed since South Africa gained democracy, black Africans in pools at elite national level are non-existent. It is not a sport that the country's majority had or even has easy access to, with pools in townships and rural areas a rarity. Let has been doing his bit through his foundation to try and change things in recent years but the 27 year old is still not satisfied.
17: I think with the work that my team is doing I can only speak on my team I can't see from what other teams are doing you know I have to you know it wouldn't be fair for me to comment I think that we're doing all we can. Like for me I've opened the the Club Academy at the moment to help underprivileged communities such as Komashu, Blue, Blue Downs in Cape Town. Um, with my academy, it's been open for about 16 months now and we have a lot of people that go in there and we teach the kids how to swim because that's how you're going to develop the next generation uh, because at the end of the day, untapped potential, you may never see another Chad if, you, if from the communities. You know, They could be there and getting exposed to different kinds of things. So you have to give them the opportunity, I agree totally, and, and, and push them through the ramps and give them the right platform. It's all about the right platform. Of course we can do more.
16: Swimming South Africa's main sponsor at the moment remains a national lotto. Its previous major partner was telecommunication giant Telecom. Whereas other codes continue to attract plenty of financial input, the primary Olympic-famed sport is battling along in the background. This is a sad state of affairs for Letlaw, who comes from humble beginnings and had to pay his own way around the globe for a large part of his early career. He has urged the big corporates to sponsor
17: swimming. We lose a lot of kids to the system because, you know, look, we need more funding in the sport, you know, we need the corporate staff to get involved, that's the truth, you know, we're not, if we were soccer players, we'd be taken care of, you know, that's just the truth, you know, and, and some of these guys are phenomenal, I mean, we're the, are pro rata, we're the best sport in the country, you know, hands down, whatever, however you want to look at it. We have 3,000 registered swimmers, but we produce olympic champions world champions any other sport all due respects you know i'm a huge fan of Pofana, the Funa, the Springboks, the proteas uh custer wade all the runners but but we over the years have have done well you know starting with penny Terrence park and roland rake uh we don't have any funding you know what i'm saying so we need to get that that on that on a point you know we need people corporates to realize that that you know with the swimmers you know i'm, I'm very blessed i have, I have great sponsors so i'm looked after really well you know i'm talking about the next generation you know
16: and finally in volleyball news the director of Volleyball South Africa, Kashon Rorich, is excited with another edition of the Volleyball League, which is currently taking place in Kempton Park for the next four weeks. The league kicked off this past weekend and will see nine provincial teams battling for the main prize. The league started last year in Deben, in the KwaZulu-Natal province, with the Western Cranes from Western Cape winning the championship. Well, the uh, National Volleyball League, beach volleyball side of it, um, it's running for four weekends uh, here
8: in uh, Ikuleni at the Dries Niemand Picnic Park. Um, and yeah, we've got uh, teams from around the country that is participating, provincial teams, uh, all nine provinces. Um, so they're coming to play for the National Championship, which is a league that has been set up by Volleyball South Africa and Sport and Recreation South Africa. Well, this is the second year that the league is happening. Um, and it incorporates, like I said, everybody
16: from around the country, and it's been very successful the first year, and the second year looks better. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Etio Chamani.
0: This is Africa
1: Digest. All right, it's time for us to wrap it up for this hour of Africa Digest. Be sure to join us again later on in the evening from 1900 hours from myself, Samora Mangiesi, producer Ronald Peary, technical producer Evelino Ibrahim and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you so much for listening.